regular people are taking their knowledge and content, packaging it up in an online course, and they're making a living doing it. But not everyone is successful with online courses. There's a right way and there's a wrong way. And I'm here to help course creators actually succeed with online courses. Hi, I'm Jacques Hopkins, and this is The Online Course Show. And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins, and right over there is our co-host, What's Up, Dr. K. Oh, I'm super fantastic. How are you doing today? We're fantastic. All right, man. This is episode 176. You take it. You, you care to take a guess at how many episodes we've done together? I started on 106, so Can a little bit less than math? 70. Little, well, no, because you were on vacation. I don't know the exact math. There's a few little ones in there. Well, I forgot about. I did do a couple of solo ones in there. I, I was just, uh, <laughs> I was just kind of when I crunched the numbers, I. Uh, assumed we did all of them since 106. So uh, if yeah. this is 176, then that means that this is our 71st together. But as you mentioned, there were a couple. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm very analytical. That's that's my personality is analytical. So is it? I'm like, which way is he? What what exact answer does he need? So if you, so, what would you say you are on the Enneagram scale? On the Enneagram. An Enneagram? Yeah, it's Enneagram. Um, yeah. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> So a couple of teases coming up here, but um, we uh, the podcast is is continuing to to evolve and and turn into um, different and hopefully you know better in some ways things. And we have some updates for you. We're going to bring to you on the back end uh, in the outro after this conversation with uh, Salome Shellac about the future of this podcast. So if you're curious about that, stay tuned for that. And then I do want to talk a little bit about um, about the Enneagram because I think it's uh, fascinating. If you don't know what it is, we'll explain we'll explain in just a minute. But in the meantime, uh, let's just get some casual updates here. What's been going on lately for you, Dr. K? Well, the main thing uh, I'm working on getting this uh, new podcast. I propose a story all up and running. We talked about that when we recorded the last episode, and that gave me a hard deadline to have have the episode where you we interview you. I'm going to put that as ep- episode one, so I, right. I should have it up and running uh, in time for when that comes out and gets released. Uh, when people listen to the last episode that we recorded, great. So if if anybody's listening to this, you know, go check out the I Propose a Story podcast, and if it doesn't exist. Exist yet? Go to the online course community and and really uh, rag out Dr. K. But if it does exist, then also go to the <laughs> online course community and tell them what you think about it. That's right. And then yeah, I need an affiliate link for Piano in 21 Days because at the tail end of your episode, I'm gonna be like, hey, you got to go to iproposeastory.com/slash/piano and uh, get that first five days free and and learn all about it. So, well, that now I have a deadline because my affiliate program is not officially. Uh, live yet. So now now it kind of backfired on me a little bit because now I have a deadline associated with the launch of your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so the other thing I am, uh, I haven't shared with you this one part of the podcast that I'm looking at adding and I've been known to complicate things needlessly. So this could be, I could be guilty of this, but the main I propose a story format is uh, a discussion with a fun couple about their proposal story Again, I'm trying to track down people that have roller coaster stories, breath holding moments, laugh out loud, foot and mouth moments. Uh, but then I was like, you know, just for me to be interested, I'd like to have break it up a little bit with some other episodes. So then I was thinking, well, I could talk with people about planning weddings. 
but pretty quickly I was like, oh, that sounds kind of boring to me. And so I was like, what else would really interest me as kind of this other type of an episode? And I remembered the the best talk that I've ever heard. This is a talk that I've listened to so many times was called Cheat Sheet for a Happy Home. So Cheat Sheet for a Happy Home. And it was this older guy and he just shared like these 10 little rules like he said, uh, be easy to impress, but hard to depress, just all these rules. And so I was like, you know, there are also people that maybe they would be great to talk to, but their spouse wouldn't be willing to jump on a podcast. And I'm like, that would let me get some wisdom from them. And so my plan is to simultaneously essentially start a second podcast called Cheat Sheet for a Happy Home. I know, I know, I know. I know. So that would be, uh, it would be like... Every few episodes on I Propose a Story, there would be one of those. And then it would also live on its own feed. And so uh, that's kind of my game plan. And so I'm going to be going to be tracking down people that I think are fun, uh, have great stories. And the idea that, is that they would share. Uh, the basic idea is if you sat down with a couple who just got engaged, what would be your four to 10 rules that you would share with them to have them have a happy home? And each of those rules needs a story from your own life, uh, a story about how you learned that rule from your parents, a story about a mentor in your life that that that's where you learned it, or a story about how you were doing things wrong in your marriage or your home and how you learned about how to do things better. I have such I have such mixed emotions about this because on the one hand, it sounds like a phenomenal idea. But on the other hand, you know, people come to me all the time and they're like, hey, I've got multiple ideas for an online course. Should I pursue them all or pick one. And you know, yeah. I'm sure you know what my answer is. Like, Let's focus on one. Let's dial it in and then move on to the next one. So your first one hasn't even launched yet. And you're saying you're going to have two. Yeah, but that's where. <laughs> okay. So my, so why not just like have them be the same for starters, right? So well, like, they will. Right. For start. And then assess it down the road. And then, you know, later on decide if you're going to break out this second thing into a, a different feed. Right. But for now, just make it all one feed. That is that is the path that I'm on. But like I chose my podcast host as a speaker because based on my online research, that was one that made it very easy to set up a second podcast um, and have it all managed from one account. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I agree with that. I'm, I'm totally focused on getting the first <laughs> one up and running. But uh, no, there are just there are people out there that. I want to talk to them. I want to get their advice and their wisdom and their funny stories and their spouse won't jump on the mm -hmm. I Propose a Story podcast. And so it was just killing me. I was like, how would I, how can I talk to those people as well? How can I make it relevant to people, to people that love good stories and love talking about love and relationships? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I know, you know, like my wife had some anxiety going into the interview because that's just not her, you know, not her thing, being in front of the microphone, mm -hmm. being in the spotlight, you know, she did, she did a great job. Um, she she powered through, but I but I get that I totally get it because I experienced it firsthand with my wife. Yeah, and mine as well because <laughs> I had Val come in and record, and it was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, well, I tried to get I tried to get your wife to uh you know do some sort of testimonial for piano in twenty one days, and you know she, I don't think she likes the spotlight. She it could happen. She finally played for me. She hadn't played for me since like the first week, since like seven days into the course. Mm -hmm. And then this week I got to hear her play House of the Rising Sun. I got to hear her play an Adele song. I got mm -hmm. to I mean it was great. I love I love a term that you use in your your course called secret sauce. 
Mm-hmm. She's like, that's the secret sauce. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I stole that from somebody, uh, another online piano teacher, Zach Evans. Um, he, his brand is called Become a Piano Superhuman. And we've collaborated on some things. He's a good friend now. And he he came up with this concept of the secret sauce. It's this exact pattern in your left hand. And it sounds awesome. And you can mm-hmm. apply it to a lot of things. So uh, I certainly give credit to him it, You know, within my course where that came from. But uh, we're, we're, I'm now teaching it because it's so awesome. It's nice. good. It's good sauce. All right, let's let's talk Enneagram. All right, I've been really into the Enneagram lately. Some people listening to this will be like, "Yes, I'm into it as well." Other people will be like, I, "I've never heard of this. What the heck is he talking about?" It, it's it's a test you can take, or it's 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 it's, it's like, kind of like a personality test. Is that is that a fair correct summary? Just it tells you a lot about yourself. In fact, the book that I personally read to learn more uh, uh, about it it was called the the Road Back to You. Cause it's a lot of just like self discovery type stuff. And I highly recommend that book. We can link to it in the show notes, the road back to you. And, um, it, it really, really helps with learning more about yourself. And then also your interactions with other people, especially people close to you, like a spouse or really good friends, really, uh, you know, parents, uh, siblings, kids, and so on. So I want to briefly, you know, talk about it, um, here and, and share a little bit with you guys about this. So there are nine, different types along the Enneagram. And I think the word Enneagram, uh, it means nine, um, shoot, I'm not completely prepared for this, but it, it kind of goes in a circle, right? Um, cause they're all related as well. So like one is, is somewhat related to a two and a nine, right? So if you're looking at an Enneagram diagram, it's always in a circle with these numbers around it. So let me briefly just mention what each number is. And then I can tell people how, um, how you can go about trying to assess which one you are and why that's helpful. So the first one is um, is called the, uh, or number one is called the reformer or the perfectionist. And uh, they are rational, idealistic type, principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionist. Number two is the helper, the caring, interpersonal type, demonstrative, generous, people-pleasing, and possessive. Number three is the achiever, the success-oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, and image conscious. Number four is the individualist, the sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. Number five is the investigator, the intense, cerebral type, perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. Number six is the loyalist, the committed, security-oriented type, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. Number seven is the enthusiast, the busy, fun-loving type, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. Number eight is the challenger, the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. And number nine is the peacemaker, the easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent. So, Dr. K, nine choices. Which one are you? Well, I, I took the test and it looks like my highest is this reformer, which is kind of the perfectionist tendencies. And I can definitely see that about myself. Um, definitely like five and six were right up at the top as well. So investigator and loyalist. Mm-hmm. And again, I, I have learned that like this analytical side of my personality is a huge, huge part of it. Um, I want to be right. Uh, and that's, that's caused problems in my relationships is like, uh, I, I just, 
I, I like to like to be right about things. And then the third one was the achiever. So I could see all of those in my personality. What yeah, about you? So, so well, there's multiple ways to to figure out what you are. And I don't think the test is the best way. There are free tests out there. You can search for Enneagram test. You, you, you know, take a little test, 15, 30 minutes, and it'll spit on an answer. There's also a test you can take that's about $15. And we, we paid for that test for everybody on our team, including you. And it spits out your top three possible results. Honestly, my preferred way to figure out what you are is in The Road Back to You, that book, at the beginning of every chapter, there are 20 questions. And for example, it says, what's it, what is it like to be a one? And there are 20 questions. And the beginning of the chapter about twos, it says, what is it like to be a two? And there are 20 questions. And I feel like you go through each set of those 20 questions and whichever one you answer, yes, that's me too, the most, that's what you are. And so for example, when I took the test, my top result was number three. It was number three, which is uh, the achiever. But I, I'm not a three. I, I mean, I've got certain elements of a three, but I am a, I am a very strong one. Like there is no doubt about it. I'm a one. I'm a perfectionist. Um, and when I read those 20 questions for number one, like I'm saying yes to pretty much all of them. Whereas with number three, I'm saying yes to like less than half of them. Right. So I trust this method more than, um, than the actual test. So that that's me. I'm a one. Um, and then I actually, next is more like a nine, to be honest with really? you. Peacemaker. Yeah. I'm, I'm very, I can be very agreeable. I can be very like uncomfortable when there's confrontation or disagreements. Um, and that's actually what my wife is. She is, she is a pretty strong nine. And, uh, in the road back to you, he talks about how you actually typically will wing one direction or another, meaning you're primarily one of them, but then you're like, if you're a one, then you kind of wing either to the nine or the two. And so I'm a one wing nine and my wife is a nine wing one. So it's an in interesting compliment. Uh, if you were a, if you are a one, which it sounds like that's where you're leaning. Do you, do you know if you'd wing more nine or two? Um, no, I didn't see that myself at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's it, it's, and have you read the road back to you or you just took the test? I listened to it on audiobook and yeah. So I, I you know, it, it's, it's interesting to learn more about myself and like why, like, you know, one of the things about a one is you have an inner critic, right? I've, I'm always just like questioning if I did the right thing. I even, you know, critique things I did when I was like seven years old and I'm 35 years old, you know, that's part of being a one and it, it blows like my what? mind. Like what? I, I don't want to say. Um, it blows my mind that other you know, people that are not ones don't really have that inner critic. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, I thought that was a human thing, not a one thing. Um, you know, one of the, one of the questions is like in road back to you about a one is like when somebody goes to the, you know, 20 items or less line at the grocery store and they have more than 20 items, you kind of get upset about that. Right. It's like you're a rule follower, you're a perfectionist. You get you try to do everything just just the right way, um, and that's certainly me. And it's I and I and I understand now that that's not everybody, and why it's not everybody. Now that I know my wife is a nine, it it it, it totally makes sense. Like she she's a peacemaker. Like she doesn't she doesn't like to make decisions. She's not confrontational at all. It's it's really interesting. And she anytime you know things are not at peace, that's very 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 stressful for her. Very stressful mm -hmm. for her. Um, I have people 
in my life that are eights, which means they're very, very controlling and can get very angry. Like that, it makes total sense. Sevens are you're just like total free spirit, always moving on to the next thing. I definitely have some good friends that are like that. Um, but you know what I've realized is a lot of uh, a lot of people that have been on this podcast, a lot of really successful course creators are threes. Most of them. Most of them are threes. I think, what was it last episode? We talked about that mastermind with Graham Cochran, I believe, that I was in. You remember that? Almost everybody in there was a three, hmm. right? And I, and I was I was the only one in there. I was like, yeah, I mean, I, in some ways, I wish I was a three, but I'm not. I'm a one. Yeah, I would say, as somebody who the test said I was a one the most, um, I feel like I feel like you and I have probably both developed that three side of us, but it's been mm -hmm. a struggle. It's been, that's been the portion of our personality that has been a growth area. So it's like we're most, most improved in the three category probably. Yeah. And you know, one of the characteristics of a three that I don't resonate with is that they're very results oriented and it almost doesn't matter how you get to the end as long as the end has been gotten sometimes even to um even you know lying and being unethical and i'm not saying that threes are are like that by any means but the 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 path to get to the end is much less important than the end and as a one as a perfectionist like i want to make sure i'm going down the exact right steps the entire time and doing every step of the process the right way and i'm not saying that that's the right way either i think it, for example if i were a 3 this platform in this new course would have launched way sooner than it did. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. if you're a three, like you got like the goal is to get this thing launched, however we can get it launched. Whereas for me as a one, I was trying to make sure everything was dialed in the whole way through. So I'm curious, you've you've had co-hosts on this show that are a little bit different than you. So what do you <laughs> see Nate Dodson from the first 20 episodes? Uh, what do you see in his personality? Oh yeah, so Nate he's a very he's a mix of a guy. Yeah, for sure. So he, I would love to know for sure, but I would say he's probably maybe a four, you know, the individualist. Um, I don't know. I'd be very curious to know. And I'd be very curious to know what a lot of the guests are. But like I said, I think most of them are probably threes in general. Gotcha. So the last thing I'd like to do with this is just uh, read one example from the road back to you of these 20 questions. And I'll read the one for number one, because that's what that's what I am. It's likely what you are as well. So uh, when I said I was saying yes to most of these, these are these questions. Are you ready for it? Okay. Number one, people have told me I could be overly critical and judgmental. Two, I beat myself up when I make mistakes. Three, I don't feel comfortable when I try to relax. There's too much to be done. Four, I don't like it when people ignore or break the rules, like when it, the person in the fast lane at the grocery store has more items than allowed. Five, details are important to me. So, so far, we're five for five for me. Six, I often find that I'm comparing myself to others. Seven, if I say I'll do it, I'll do it. Eight, it is hard for me to let go of resentment. Nine, I think it is my responsibility to leave the world better than I found it. Ten, I have a, a lot of uh, self-discipline. 11, I try to be careful and thoughtful about how I spend my money. 12, it seems to me that things are either right or wrong. 13, I spend a lot of time thinking about how I could be a better person. 14, forgiveness is hard for me. 15, I notice immediately when things are wrong or out of place. 16, I worry a lot. 17, I am really disappointed when other people don't do their part. 18, I like routine and don't readily embrace change. 
19, I do my best when working on a project and I wish others would do the same so I wouldn't have to redo their work. And 20, I often feel like I try harder than others to do things correctly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a yes to about 18 or 19 of those right there. And that's, that's when I knew that I was a one. Yeah, definitely. I can sense all that too. All right. Any other thoughts here uh, as we wrap up this discussion on Enneagram? Well, I do have a funny story uh, from growing up that kind of highlights just how strong, kind of this like strong side of my personality. Do you want to hear that? Yeah, let's go. <clears throat> All right. So I grew up going to this tiny private religious school and at the, the high school, it had dropped down to about 55 people in the high school. And uh, at the time, uh, it was my junior year, I was like just starting to question some of these things about religion and just trying to figure out what I really believed. Well, the school invited this, this duo in. They were twins named Rick and Mick. And the idea is that they were going to do this day and a half long, just like reinvigorate uh, the, the student base in, in their beliefs and their spirituality. And so the whole thing builds up to this like final half hour and uh, they end up with this like call to action where they say these exact words. They say, if you are 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, come up on stage. And they repeat it. If you're 100% sure that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, come up on stage. And I'm like listening. And again, just like before you said, how many episodes did you record or did we record together? And I'm like, well, technically 70, but you know, there's those six. So I'm listening very closely and I'm like, no, I have doubts. Every other person in the auditorium gets up and starts to walk up on stage, <laughs> except for this kid named Derek that's like four seats down from me. He's one grade below me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like Derek and I are the only ones still sitting down. And I'm like, just stay seated, Derek, stay seated. I'm thinking through my head. And as soon as like the last person got up to the steps to the stage, I look over and Derek stands up and starts to head up with the whole crowd. And I was like, no way. And so now I am sitting there by myself. Every single other person in the entire high school is standing up on stage. Uh, my face is red as a tomato. I can't even remember what they said, but they were probably, I, I think this must've been the first time that somebody was really listening and like analyzing what was said as far as Rick and Mick. Um, anyways, it was just, uh, it was just like this crazy moment where I'm sitting there by myself for the next however long and very awkward. Um, but what was funny about four years later, I was back at that school for this uh, beloved like maintenance guy's funeral. And this teacher came up to me and he said, he said, David, do you remember that time? Uh, and I'm like, yeah, I was like the worst moment of my life. And he's like, well, I just want to let you know that was one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen is the way that you were willing to sit there by yourself. Um, but again, I mean, like my personality, number one, I'm observant. Number two, I'm analytical. Like I was actually listening to that exact statement, stubborn enough to go my own way. And then you talked about the perfectionist. For me in that moment, I was like, if I had gone up on stage, it would have been like me telling a lie. It was like, no, I'm not, mm -hmm. not going to get up. So anyways, that's, that's a moment that I'm like, yeah, apparently I'm a little bit different than everybody else. Nah, that's, that's really interesting. Self-discovery, um, I'm finding very interesting lately. Uh, learning about why we do certain things. And um, I've, I've been looking at a lot of situations through the lens of this Enneagram stuff. You know, you, 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 your story makes sense through the lens of being a one there. And, you know, when my wife gets really upset about uh, something, 
you know, I, I'm like, okay, she's a nine. Like, why would she, why would she be so upset about this? Whereas I'm, I don't really see it like, oh, I, you know, if I see it through the, the, try to see it the way she sees it, it makes a lot more sense. And I'm able to, you know, empathize with her better. And it's, it's, it certainly improved our relationship. Um, uh, quick question. Yeah. The bit, the business side of things, you paid for your entire team to yeah. take the test, get the book if they wanted. Um, what was your goal with that? And do you see any, any valuable outcomes for course creators that are building teams? Yeah, it's, it's really helpful. Um, you know, my director of operations is a six, which makes total sense. A loyalist. Um, she's always, um, she's very loyal, but she's always looking at things like worst case scenarios, which is part of being a six, right? So if I come up with this idea, she's really good at poking holes in it. I'd be like, well, what if this happens? What if this happens? Right. And now I know she's a six, right? There's a, there's one or two other people on my team that are sixes. I found out that my video editor is a four, which is really interesting. I had no idea, which is the uh, individualist, very artsy typed, very right brained type of person. So it's interesting. You know, you wouldn't want to have a, a like a three in certain roles. A lot of times the 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 leader or the the owner is a is a three. I, we don't have any threes on our team that I'm aware of, and. One of my newest hires who is uh, helps me with some piano teaching. She's also a nine. That's that's really helpful to know. And also another another application is I think you know I've always been mostly against partnerships in general. I'm the type of person that wants to be like the the main the main person. Um, in terms of, you know, a lot of people will go into business with other people 50-50 and so on. But I think on my, like knowing that I'm a one, I think in certain situations, it might be a good idea to partner up with a three. I think mm. a one and a three could make a pretty good combination for for running something. So um, I find that interesting as well. Got it. Well, we spent a lot of time on this. I think we should move on to talking a little bit about Facebook ads. And uh, dare I say the coolest name that's appeared on this podcast? I like it. <laughs> so S- Salome Shellac, uh is is awesome. She's down in Australia and she runs a Facebook ads agency. Uh, she actually, it, you know, many of you may be fami- familiar with Amy Porterfield, um, who is a, you know, big time internet marketing um guru. And she has, she has a course on courses. Uh, and, and several people that have been on the podcast have, have mentioned Amy Porterfield's course being, um, one of the catalysts to their success. Well, anyway, inside of Amy Porterfield's course, there is a, a module or a mini course on Facebook ads and Salome Shalak actually teaches that. Wow. Um, so she knows, she knows her stuff and she's got an interesting spin on, or not spin, but like kind of a unique way to approach Facebook ads to get kind of your most bang for your buck out of, out of them. And she has a way to get started as little as $5 a day effectively. So very interesting stuff. Good conversation. If you're interested at all about Facebook ads, stay tuned. Let's get on with the full conversation with Salome Shalak. Salome, welcome to the Online Course Show. Thank you so much, Jacques. It's lovely to be here. Yes, I'm so glad to have you on. Uh, I got introduced to you by um, Joe Fier of the the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. Love those guys. Um, and you know what really jumped out at me is is when he introduced me to you. He said that he just had you on on their show. They had you on their on, on their show, and he said, "I'm looking at the email right now." And he said she provided advertising and engagement strategies to grow courses that are much different than we've heard before, right? So I've had Facebook ads people on before. I've talked to a lot of Facebook ads people. Facebook ads are all the rage, right? What is Mm. it that you've got to offer? What strategies are different from your perspective? 
Ooh, that is my favorite question. Uh, yeah, Matt and Joe are such nice guys. I had fun talking to them. So I, I enjoy talking to anyone that that they connect me with. Okay, so let me let me answer it to you this way. I have been running Facebook and Instagram ads for a very long time just for online course creators. So I have seen it all. And the reason I have a different approach to it is because I've learned that running successful Facebook and Instagram ads for online course creators is not about Facebook ads. It is about creating engaged audiences who wants to buy from us. That is what it's about when we are course creators and we want to sell to them. Now, the traditional way that most of us, me included, start our online course businesses is by using social media. So we have our iPhone in our pocket and we can go live on it and we can create Instagram stories and Instagram reels and all the things. But with the algorithm changing at the beginning of 2018, it started feeling like we're walking through mud when we're trying to build audiences on social media. And so what I discovered is that there is a very close relationship between what we do on Facebook ads and what we do on social media. And what I teach is a way to really get out of that stuck land where the algorithm's working against you by using engagement ads to build your audience. And then once you start building that engagement on your accounts, your conversion costs come down for when you start list building. And then you start, and then once that happens, you start list building. And of course, once you have a nice, healthy list, you launch your course to them. If they buy it, you have proof of concept. And then next time you go big and you run cold ads to your webinar or your three-part video series or, you know, your big launch. Uh, and that's, that's what I teach. And some people implement that in two, three months and other people, it takes a bit longer, but that's the whole strategy. Wow. Okay. So I've, I've got to tell you, I'm just like, as far as ads goes, I'm like, I'm a moron. Okay. I don't know much <laughs> about ads, right? I, I, I'm good at a couple of things and I'm horrible at a lot of things. So <laughs> I'm a little intimidated right now talking to you. Um, so let's, let's keep that in mind. So when you say engagement ads, like that's mm -hmm. lit literally a type of ad you select in the Facebook ads platform. Exactly. Yes. So we have a selection of optimizations that we can choose from when we come to Facebook, when we want to run ads. And those optimizations, the, the ones that online course creators use most would be conversion because we want people to convert to subscribers to our email list or convert to sign up for a webinar or convert to sign up for a, a video series or a launch. So conversion is probably the most uh, commonly used ad objective with Facebook ads for online course creators. But then there's some others like video views. You put a video on, you want people to watch your video. You run an ad for video views. Or we could use something like traffic, which means we have a blog post um, on our website and we just want to send traffic to that post. And then there's engagement. And this is literally when we tell Facebook, we want people, we, we say, we literally say to Facebook, hey, Facebook, take my money and in exchange for my money, get me shares, comments, likes, and clicks. And that's what they, and that's what the algorithm then goes out and finds for you. 
Okay. So, so what I'm hearing is that Facebook ads is actually pretty smart. And I guess most people probably know that already, but when we're setting up some ads, we can tell Facebook to optimize for several different things. Conversions, like every time they download my free workbook, every time they register for my webinar, let's optimize for those people or let's optimize for video views or page views. But what you're saying is at least starting out, let's optimize for engagement. Yes, I tell everyone to start with $5 a day engagement ads. And the reason we do that is if you think about like engagement is a fairly cheap action for people to take, right? It's uh, it's a click or a comment or a share or, you know, sometimes even when you see how in an ad, you only see the first two lines of the ad. And when you click that, see more so that the rest of the copy appears, that to Facebook is an engagement because it indicates that you're paying attention, you're interested in the ad, you want to know more. So imagine you're sitting in front of the TV and uh, you're watching TV and you're scrolling. And so you're not really paying close attention to what you're scrolling through. And then an ad pops up that grabs your attention because it's a good marketer who pulled you in, right? You're going to like do that double take and stop. And then you're going to read the first two lines and you're going to think, oh, I want to find out more. And you're going to click so that the rest of the copy opens up. And then you're going to read all that copy. And then maybe you're going to be like, this guy just gets me. This person just really understood my problem. And then you're going to comment and you're going to say like, this is like, you know, whatever it's about, you're going to leave a comment because it caused you to feel something. It caused you to think about something and it caused you to go, yes, I love what this guy has. Now you've engaged with it. But that is still that is still a, a fairly more of a passive action than a conversion. A conversion is when you go, yes, I love this so much. I have to give you my email address and get the thing that you're going to send me. So that's more active. So we tend to pay a lot more for conversions than we do for engagements, right? So engagement ads are fairly cheap. So if we just take $5 a day, and take our, you know, our best social media posts usually work really well for engagement ads because they serve to connect with our audience. Um, once you take that $5 a day and you run engagement ads, what happens is Facebook picks up on this increased engagement on your social media. And it's kind of like Facebook goes, oh, there's engagement and engagement is an indication of a quality account. Because marketers who are pushy and yucky don't get engagement. Marketers who focus on relationships and on connection, they get engagement. And so Facebook sees that engagement and then goes, oh, we like this. There's engagement. This is quality stuff. Let's put this in more people's news feeds. And so your overall ad costs come down because you're, I call it your ad mojo, because you're like, you have account mojo, like you you start building that mojo where Facebook says, wow, yeah, this guy creates great stuff. Let's put it in front of more people. And so then your more expensive ads, like your conversion ads, they come down in cost. Right. And that's part of the whole process. If I'm following you, the end game is not simply engagement. That's just kind of how your particular process starts. So if I'm hearing you correctly and I'm looking at it from like 
a high level view, we kind of start with engagement, really get Facebook to like us and get people to start liking our ads and interacting with our ads. All the while you're building an audience, right? You're, you're kind of putting yeah. all of that, those people that engage with you into a Facebook audience. And then we run other types of ads, conversion ads, maybe just to that audience, just to the people that have already engaged. Is that how you do it? Uh, yeah, to both actually. You will run. So we run. So we run the engagement ads to our. So what what we call. So let's just talk about custom audiences for a second, because uh, that's what you're you're talking you're touching on here. A custom audience is like a bucket of people that we define for Facebook. Now we can create many different buckets. So um, I can create a bucket where I say to Facebook, um, "Hey Facebook, create me an audience." That is everybody who engaged with me on Facebook in the last 180 days. And that's my custom audience. I can create a custom audience of everyone who's on my email list. I can create a custom audience of everyone who's gone to my website or everyone who's engaged with me on Instagram. So those are my custom audiences. And they are the first audiences you would start out with that we call warm audiences. And the reason we call them warm audiences is because they have somewhere along the line taken an action to indicate that they're interested in what we have. So when we run these engagement ads, we can start by running them to our warm audience because our warm audience already knows, likes, and trusts us. And so they are more likely then to engage with this ad and if they do, they're going to leave us a comment, they're going to share it with a friend, they're going to like it, and that gives us social proof. And when we then take that same ad and we run it to a cold audience, so now we're targeting people that, are, that have never heard of us. We're using interest-based targeting, like people who are interested in playing the piano. And, and we're sending this engagement ad out. I say, I say at this point, the engagement ad kind of works like Joey Tribbiani. And it goes out and it says, how you doing to the rest of the world? So if you're a child of the 80s and 90s, you would know what I'm talking about. If you're, if you're 20 years old, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. But so then the engagement ad goes out and it already has social proof on it because your warm people have already liked it. And now it goes out and it brings new people into those custom audiences for you every single day. So it feeds new people into your world. But this engagement also stimulates your organic social media. So all of a sudden, you start running these $5 a day ads. And all of a sudden, you'll notice, hey, people are actually showing up to my Facebook Lives. People are actually commenting on Instagram. People are actually checking out what I'm doing. And that gets you out of that initial stuck state in social media where you feel like you're treading water or walking through mud. So, um, so, so that's how this works. And then when you start running the conversion ads, again, you'll start your conversion ads to your warm audiences because you've done so much work to build these warm audiences but they're not on your email list yet. And, and you know, the money's in the list. We've got to get them on the list. So then we run the list building ads to these warm audiences, get all of them on, the, on our email list. And then we can, build, we can run list building ads to cold audiences as well and just, you know, speed up the process of building your list. How you doing? Uh, yeah. How you're speaking you my language. I love friends. Yes, that's, that's funny. I do too. So there's, there's a lot of 
people teaching Facebook ads. There's a lot of Facebook ad agencies. There's a lot of Facebook ads courses. Is this not the? Is this not what they're teaching? Is the why? Why you make it sound so simple and easy? Why? Why is it this mainstream? Um, it is mainstream. It is just not talked about this way. So a lot of people have their signature methods, and they would call it, you know, then they build all these mystery around this signature method. And when you unpack the signature method, it usually involves some kind of top of funnel ads, middle of funnel ads, bottom of funnel ads. This is just top of funnel and middle of funnel ads. That is exactly what it is. I just discovered, and and people are most people who teach a similar concept. Instead of teaching you to use engagement ads at the top of the funnel, they teach video view ads, and that is because we can create custom audiences of specific videos. The reason I teach engagement is because I saw in our clients that when we run engagement ads. Consistently in the long run, we see people's ad costs come down. Whereas everyone else's ad costs are going up, our clients' ad costs come down because we are specifically aiming to get more engagement. And if that person, client or student, is good at managing their social media, then that pays off for them big time. So there are a lot of people teaching this. They just call it something else. Got it. And if I'm going to, let's say somebody's listening and and they're they're following you and they want to start doing this, would I need to have a fairly active, like organic um, strategy on Facebook and Instagram? Do I, do I want to have regular posts out there to start running ads? Yes, absolutely. I would say if you're um, if you are not posting consistently, it's going to take you a lot longer to get out of that walking through mud phase. Um, there's always the thing with ads is always, it's always a balance between time and money. You know, you can speed anything up if you throw money at it. Um, but it depends on your budget. So if you have a higher budget, you can put more money towards engagement and then you're going to spend less time, um, you know, being on social media. So it's that's always the balance. But I encourage everyone who, if you start spending money on social media ads, on Facebook or Instagram ads, at least put up, you know, five posts a week, at least. Until you're at the point where the ads are doing all the heavy lifting and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I'm a giant supporter of the idea that we need to get off of social media. I feel like... You know, it's a great way to start, but your goal is to get off of social media. Meaning to get your audience off of social media and kind of onto your platform? Yeah, to get your audience, to get your audience off of social media and onto your email list and into your paid programs, your first offer. Make that first sale really early on, but also to get yourself off of social media uh, because a lot of people stay so stuck in this social media hustle and and they don't take the time to learn marketing and funnels and selling and you know selling their courses um that they stay they just they work their they work their tails off on social media and that is something that you're never done with you know that 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 is the perpetually hungry 
thing that needs feeding the whole time. But when you become strategic about using ads and funnels and selling your courses strategically and building your business strategically, you learn that social media actually then becomes a very small part, to, has a very small part to play in bringing in new people to your audience. It, I use social media predominantly to promote my podcast. I don't post any more photos of me cuddling with the dog or me, you know, sitting in the kitchen with my laptop, all the cliche female work from home mum social media. I just don't because I don't need to. Even on Instagram? Come on. Surely you do that on Instagram. <gasps> No, I don't. You can check out my Instagram right now. It's all podcast because okay. that's where I build relationships with people. So for you, I mean, you have you have your agency, right? You have an mm. agency and a course. You, you you take on clients to help them with ads as a service, and then you also sell a course. Do I have that right? Yes, you do. I have two courses actually. I have um, I have a course called A Lister, which teaches these basic principles: this understanding, this relationship with audience building and list building, and finding the first people to buy. And then I have the Launch Lounge, where I work closer with uh, people who are already launching their courses to make more profit in their launches. Okay, so. I'm assuming the agency came first and a lot of what yes. you put into the courses is kind of things that you've learned along the way, working with your clients, uh, mostly course creators, I'd imagine. Yeah. And then you, uh, then you took all this information and put it in some courses. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So who would be a good fit to, to work with you and work in the, with it, with the agency versus working with you in one of your courses? Oh, that's a great question. The agency clients that I see that we work with most successfully um, and that we enjoy working with the most is, is someone who is already making about maybe upwards of fifty or $60,000 from their course sales and they want to get that to $500,000. I have, we have worked with many, you know, 2 million turnover clients. Um, but I find that when, once they get to that stage, the ad support they want is more lever pulling. You know, they just want someone to just put up the ads and, and, and they're not as interested in strategic growth anymore with ads. So my sweet spot and what I love to, the clients that I love to work with is people who have done enough to get to 50, 60,000. So I know they have funnels that convert and they need help scaling it. And then we come in and then we just scale it. And, you know, we had one, one client who in 2020 went from a hundred thousand dollars to $400,000 because she just did what we told her to and we scaled it with ads but she already had a course that was you know that she had launched four times successfully so that's the perfect client for us in the agency that's the people I love to work with so when you say 50 to 60k then once you get to 500k we're talking about per month or per year per year per, per year. year okay that's yes. a that's yeah. a big difference yeah. there it's a big At first it's I per was year. thinking per month and then I was thinking okay wait maybe per year no, it's the 50 to 60 Ks per month clients that I am moving away from. 
um, because their teams are too big and we just become a cog in the wheel and the you know it's it, they're just not as eager to learn and as eager to put in what i find these um online course creators that are you know below a hundred thousand but aiming to scale to a million like that's like if they're if they're not yet at a hundred thousand but they they know they can scale in the next three four years to a million then then that's that's our sweet spot okay so that's the type of client you're getting away from that's kind of where we are as uh, that's where piano in 21 days is but yet mm. we're basically at this point not running facebook ads okay that's, so you're that's saying phenomenal <laughs> you're saying that i'm not a fit for your agency but yet we're not running facebook ads like what 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 advice yeah. do you have for piano in 21 days and how to succeed with with facebook ads um well i think i this it's yours you're a you're a bit of an anomaly because I first tell me how are you running at that scale without ads? Because I think because I live and breathe ads, uh, <laughs> everyone in my world runs ads. So I want to know: is it mostly SEO? And because I mean, you're doing so well to do all of this without ads. Well, I didn't say without ads. I said without Facebook ads. Keep that without in mind. Facebook. Yes. Yeah. 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 So since 2017, we have been running Google ads. And so yeah. at this point, we spend around $10,000 a month in the Google platform. So that's display, mm -hmm. search, and YouTube ads. Mm -hmm. But that's certainly not, um, that's probably not even half of the traffic. So we have a pretty good, good, uh, well diversified traffic stream, pretty good mm -hmm. YouTube channel, um, mm -hmm. pretty good SEO results. You know, we're, we're ranking, you know, you type in how to play piano. I'll mm -hmm. show up on the first page of Google at least one time, right? Uh, a blog post. Uh, yeah. video, yeah. maybe an ad, right? Possibly yeah. three times. And so yeah. that's where most of the traffic comes from at this point. And then of course, my existing email list pointing them back mm -hmm. to the site and so on. So that's how we've mm -hmm. gotten to this point without Facebook ads. But mm -hmm. I do I do envision ramping up Facebook mm -hmm. ads at some point in the future. Yeah. So do you know how much you're roughly paying per lead to come in and then what's your, I don't know if you want to share all of that <laughs> information here, but I think it, it's a, it's a, it would be a clever exercise to do to look at what you are paying right now for one lead to convert to a sale, <laughs> you know, you're, and then, and then, and then to go, okay, um, take some money and experiment with ads and see if you can bring that down with Facebook ads. The this is why it's so fascinating for me that you've done so well without Facebook ads. Is that I want? I think playing the piano. You know, the people who don't need to run ads are people like locksmiths uh, or plumbers. People that we always say, well, they're search they're search based businesses. You don't think about buying services from a plumber unless you have a block drain. And then you go to Google and you go, plumber near me. And that's when you want that guy to come up. But with piano, it is kind of a something that leans itself very well to interruption marketing, which is what we do with Facebook and Instagram mm -hmm. ads, because it has to interrupt you and get your attention uh, and then bring you into your funnels. So uh, I think you have a lot to explore with Facebook ads and, and because you have been so successful on those other platforms, you have data. So you have a benchmark 
for um, for what the ads need to beat to be profitable. Um, and you know, and maybe I, you know, maybe maybe you'll look at your funnels and and you'll see, okay, well, lead costs might be cheaper on Facebook ads, so you might need more leads, uh, but fewer of them will convert to sales. Because because of interruption marketing, mm-hmm. uh, people's interest base level might might be lower than it is when they're searching. So, those are all kind of the things that I would think about if you know if I were you. And then yeah, I I would find somebody to help me run those. And I mean, we could do it. <laughs> we could do it. You're if you're teachable, then and then that's great. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are things that you need to look at, and that's where you would start. And yeah. and it's nice that you have clean, clear data. A lot of people build their businesses to two million dollars a year, and they can't tell us where people come from that buy their courses. You'd be amazed. Yeah, it really is a different type of advertising between your Facebook and your Instagram versus like Google, especially Google search. Sometimes YouTube ads um, and display ads could be more interruptive, but the search mm-hmm. ads are, I forget the the other term for the opposite of the interruptive ads. But yeah, It's like push and pull marketing, they call yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But that's the reason that I started doing Google ads because I was like, well, you know, people are probably already searching for like how to play piano. And so mm-hmm. that's, I think it's a little of both for, for my particular yeah. niche because people are searching yeah. for it. But at the same time, it's like in the back of a lot of people's minds that they've always, they, they want to eventually learn. So if we could kind of do mm-hmm. some interruptive marketing as well to get it more front mm-hmm. of mind and get mm-hmm. them interested, especially with my unique approach. It's like, huh, maybe maybe I could do it. Like, I didn't think I could, but maybe I could. This mm-hmm. guy's got something, got an interesting message. Yeah, and, and I, asked, I think, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to follow up with the cost. Like you asked about cost per conversion, and I don't really know those numbers because I, I like to look at beginning mm-hmm. and end. So like, what mm-hmm. does it cost? Um, like, what's my overall ROI? So mm-hmm. we're usually pretty, uh, pretty well between like three and four, um, 4x like ad spend to revenue. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really good for an evergreen program. That's great. That is well done. That's really good. So that's a healthy that what you have is one of the healthiest evergreen funnels I have seen in a long time. Um, most evergreen funnels they tend to kind of hover around the two two and a half return on ad spend. Um, and you know, maybe if you do, I think what, what we love to do with our clients, and this is why we, why we like to unpack it sort of with this clients who are under a hundred Ks, because they never think about it this way is if you have multiple lead magnets, I think, I think you only have one lead magnet, Correct. right? Yes. Yeah. Cause you already know the one that works. So usually yes. when they come to us, they have multiple lead magnets and they don't know which one of these lead magnets actually result in sales after their launch, following their launch. So we help them set up the right tagging in their email, um, in their CRMs. And then we do a, a run, a full run of lead magnet all the way through to a live launch to the end and look at the results and go, well, okay, if this lead magnet costs you $5 per lead and this one costs you $3, but the $3 one doesn't convert to sales, then we don't run the ad for the $3 one anymore. We run the $5 one. And then we start looking at the profitability of the system. 
not just the profitability of the specific ad. Um, and, and, you know, and then we start applying marketing principles like scarcity and, you know, adding bonuses and things that are going to go away and making sure they show up for the launches and all those things to, to help them then increase conversion rates so that we can at the end of that then say, all right, well, the return on ad spend is now six. You know, for every dollar you put in the front end, you get $6 out. And that's when you have a beautiful machine that's working. And that's where you're at. You already have that. Um, and it would be interesting for you to go and look at the benchmarks of what you're paying. What's your earnings per lead right now? Mm-hmm. And then, and then you know, at, then you know, if your earnings per lead is $50 right now, you know, you can take money and spend a specific budget on Facebook ads. And as long as those Facebook ads aren't going to go over $50, you know you'll be making money. Of course, right. you want to you want it way below fifty because you need to make profit and you need to match that return on ad spend of what did you say four and a half? Um, then Between you know, three and four times. Yeah. So so you have benchmarks. That's the the lovely thing about yours is you you have those you have that data in place to be able to work with it. Okay. Very cool. So I've had uh, very successful course creators tell me that they don't even they don't believe in outsourcing ads because no agency, no other people besides you or your internal team could really effectively like get, get your message across and, and nobody could do ads as well as yourself. What would you say to those people? That's interesting. That is interesting. Do you know, I, I have a theory on why that is. And, and we Facebook ads managers are to blame for that. So I think, I believe that there is a giant gap in between the client and the ads manager. Um, And I'll explain it. I feel that the client is always an expert in their niche. They're an expert in what they do, what they teach, um, and in their, you know, their industry. The Facebook ads manager is an expert in driving traffic to a funnel. The missing link is online marketing principles, basic online marketing principles. And so I can understand. So what what I see happening, I don't hear what you hear, but I see it from a different angle. I see people telling me they have wasted thousands of dollars on Facebook ads managers and didn't make any money. And my reaction to that usually is, um, did, did your webinar convert? Did your, did your, is it your funnel that didn't convert? Because the Facebook ads manager is never to blame for you not making money. The Facebook ads manager only runs traffic to a funnel. You are the person who built that funnel and you are the person who's responsible for that funnel to convert. The problem is most clients don't know that. And here's the other thing is most Facebook ads managers don't know that either. So the Facebook ads managers just throw their hands in the air and goes, I don't know why you didn't make money. I did my job. I did my work. And so it starts this fight between online course creators and Facebook ads managers. And it usually results from an online course perspective, online course creators perspective in one of two things. The one is they hate Facebook ads people. They don't want to work with them. They think they waste their money 
Or like what you've said, those clients, those online course creators take actually take the time to learn it themselves and to get really good at it. And they learn the online marketing principles behind it. And of course, when they have learned the marketing piece, this missing link, when they've learned that missing link and they still believe that it's the missing link that makes the ad succeed, of course, they don't want to outsource it. That's kind of my theory about that because um, because I see it all the time and I see people come to me and they cry crocodile tears and they'll just say, you have no idea how much money I've wasted on Facebook ads managers. And I go, it's, it's, not, it's not your fault, but it's not the ads manager's fault. It's because nobody told you that between you and the ads manager is online marketing principles that neither of you paid attention to. Well said, Salome. Well said. Now, crocodile tears, that's a new term for me. That must be just something down there in Australia that you guys say. I don't know. I say funny things because I'm I'm South African, but I've lived in Australia now for 13 years and I work with Americans all day long. So mm. I don't know where I pick up some of my sayings, but um, nine out of 10 times when I say something and someone kind of looks at me strange, I know, oh, what did I just say something that's a strange cultural reference or something? <laughs> Well, that's that, that uh, segues nicely into let's let's get a little more of your background. Let's get to know you personally a little bit more. So, yeah. what what you know? What's your background overall in in terms of your career and business, and what led to starting an agency and then launching a course? What led to you being a Facebook ads ex- expert? Oh, you're gonna laugh at me now. Um, my background originally is in musical theater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, le- when I left school, I did musical theater for about four years and then um, decided to get a real job. But I this was back in South Africa, uh, but I didn't want to get a real job in South Africa. So I moved to London and in London and I was studying marketing part time when I was there. So I had a little bit of fun in London studying a marketing degree. Um, I was a little bit disgruntled that I had to like pack up my tap shoes uh, and get a real job. Um, so I just decided, well, what can I study that I can tolerate? And so I was marketing, marketing and psychology. And I was in London for a few years working in marketing and then got made redundant and went back to South Africa and got my first job in an ad agency. So when I graduated my degree, I started working as an accounts manager in an advertising agency. And I worked there only for a year, but I was, I had this, the seed was planted for me to start my own agency in there. I wanted to start my own agency when I left that job, but I had um, like a restraint of trade contract that restricted me from doing that for about a year. So I went and I worked in a pharmaceutical company instead as a marketer. And then my then boyfriend, now husband, uh, said, how about we go live in Australia? And I said, well, how about you put a ring on it and then I'll think about it. (laughs) And so he very quickly produced a ring And within six months, we were in Australia and we got married here on a beautiful beach in Margaret River, which is a beautiful wine, like wine country here in Australia. Um, And I couldn't find a job in marketing anywhere because we lived in Western Australia, which is like the most ridiculously isolated place in the world. And it's like a tiny little town 
on the western side of Australia, separated by oceans and deserts from the rest of the world. So I leaned on my pharmaceutical experience and just became a rep. And that turned out to be an actually a really good job for me because I figured out that I am not cut out for office work. I like being my own boss and I, I enjoy the autonomy of that. But then when I had kids, um, I dropped my daughter off at daycare one day. And that day was happened to be the day that they had Mother's Day morning tea at school. And it was also a day that my boss had decided is the day that I need to get on an airplane and go to a tiny little mining town four hours away to go and talk to the doctors. And it had to be that day because his boss, his boss who has a boss who has a boss has a spreadsheet and that spreadsheet says, I need to spend a certain number of days in that town and it has to be those days. And I think that day when I dropped my daughter off and she was crying and all the other mummies was going into daycare for Mother's Day morning tea and I had to leave to be on an airplane. That was the day that I made the decision that I'm going to get out of working and I'm going to start my own business. Um, and I started, I, I thought I, I didn't know what I can do. I didn't know what I can sell. So I started a coaching business like everyone else. Um, and it was that I called the business Shine and Succeed. First, I tried to do sales coaching because I was good at selling and I was worked in sales, but turns out uh, I can't sell my own sales coaching. <laughs> Because I didn't realize that selling your own services requires a completely different mindset. And, you know, I had to learn all those things uh, and then um, switch to life coaching. And, and that was Shine and Succeed was the video blog. Um, and uh, that didn't work out very well and eventually started broadcasting on Facebook Live. And then everyone asked me, how am I doing that? And so I launched my first online course was called the Facebook Live Superstar. And I taught people how to go live on Facebook. And that was back in 2016. And I taught myself how to run ads. I spent $400 in ads. That's back in those days, you could still spend $400 and make money. And I made $2,000. And I was so demotivated by that result. I felt that I had worked insanely hard to make $2,000 and I thought this was going to replace my income and $2,000 definitely didn't replace my income. So I quit. And I, uh, at that point, I went back to work. I was on maternity leave, but I went back to repping. And I was only back there for about five minutes when I realized I cannot work ever again. And, uh, and later, when I was talking to a Facebook ads expert and I said to that person, I spent $400 and made $2,000, that guy went, what? That's brilliant. And I was like, what do you mean it's brilliant? It's terrible. It's $2,000. I can't feed my family on $2,000. And he said, but that's four times what you put in. You should have just repeated it. And, you know, it's one of those moments where you go, oh, oh, this is the learning. This is the learning. Even when you didn't fail, you think you failed, but then you should just do it again. So, um, so I, I then niched down as a Facebook ads manager after that. I picked up clients here and there and then got on an airplane, came to San Diego for a conference with Amy Porterfield. 
Uh, and at Amy Porterfield's conference, I signed up four clients and uh, quit my job and the rest is history. That was the beginning of 2018. Uh, and then soon after that, I started the agency and started hiring other people to do this as well. Very cool. And it's one thing that's interesting is you, you've kind of you've done a lot of different things, but you kept the same brand name, right? Because you're still Shine and Succeed, right? I am still Shine and Succeed. And you know why I've kept it? <laughs> it's just because it's easier to spell than Salome Shellac. <laughs> <laughs> What's the worst somebody's butchered the pronunciation of your name? I was on, um, when I lived in the UK, I made it somehow onto the Ruby Wax show. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of Ruby Wax. She's this British television presenter, a very like flamboyant woman. And I made it onto the Ruby Wax show. She had an uh, like, like a TV dating episode of her breakfast show. And, uh, and I was on this TV dating breakfast show. And we got to hang out like the women and the men got to meet each other behind the scenes like for 20 minutes and then were brought out onto the stage and cameras on and you had to choose someone, right? Like literally after spending 20 minutes with six or seven men, now you have to say which one you want to go on a date with. And um, the girls were given a chance to choose and the boys were given a chance to choose. And it's funny, if you watch the video, uh, we had name badges and the guy who chose me live on TV looked over and I could see he's making eye contact with me. And you can see how I'm turning so he can read my mm-hmm. name badge. And then he said, um, I choose Salmon. <laughs> I was like, great. All right. Well, there you go. Salmon on TV. So, so I've been called Salmon. And uh, yeah, I think Salmon's probably the one I get most. But on TV, that was the worst. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, I think you went coolest name of anybody that's been on this podcast. So let me flag. <laughs> you know, when, when we first met a few months ago, I definitely did my research and really tried to figure out exactly how to say that. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to butcher it at all. Um, well, thank you. I get, I get a fair share of, of mispronunciations of my first name. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. The worst I've gotten is, do you, do you know who Mike Bacalowitz is? He wrote profit first yes. and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. Well, I did a mastermind with him one time. And uh, when he came to me, he uh he goes jayquise oh <laughs> and i yes. told i was like man i think that's the worst anybody has yes. ever ever tried to say my name oh yes yeah well, is, but you're you're it is i i found it interesting to meet an american who's named jacques because mm-hmm. it's a very french name is it yes so it's i live not common in, in america right i live in a very cajun french area of the oh, united okay. states okay. right so I, um uh my my grandparents and and older than them uh, spoke French, Cajun French down here oh, in South Louisiana. Right. And so I was named after my, um, my great grandfather. So that's, that's just where, where it came from. I, I usually say you're not going to find anybody named Jacques outside of France, Canada, or South Louisiana. Basically. Or South Africa. It's very common South in African. South Africa as well. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. of course. Um, okay. So that was a little, little tangent, but let's, let's get back on track <laughs> yeah. here. So let's say somebody's listening to this and they're more at the beginner stages and you've obviously got experience and know what you're doing as far as Facebook ads goes, but both in with course creation and, and succeeding with online courses. So if somebody's more on the beginner side, they have, they've barely started, they're getting into it a little bit. Like where, where should they start? Should they start with the course? 
Should they start with some organic like YouTube channel type stuff? Should they start with these Facebook engagement ads? What would your recommendation be? Yes. My recommendation is if you can get a good course that helps you set everything up from the beginning, um, especially now with Facebook rolling out all these iOS changes, you know, there's now some added things that we need to do in order to get started with ads, like verifying our domains and all sorts of techie things. So there's a few um, hoops to jump over before you can start running conversion ads. Let me let me just qualify that. Before you can start running list building or conversion ads, there's a few little techie things that you need to jump over. And it's best if you just buy a simple training that's going to help you set up your account, but make sure that they teach how to set up your account properly. If you are not there yet, and you're not thinking about building your email list with ads yet, but you do want to get started, then these engagement ads are the best way to start because you don't need anything fancy. You don't need, you don't need um, any of this fancy tech setup. You don't need anything that's going to capture people on your email list yet. You don't need pixels. You don't need any of that. All you need is social media presence and you need to start building a relationship with people on social media. And then, you know, it would be wise to capture those people when they come to your social media on your email list, because we always want to drive people back to our email lists. But you don't, when you're just starting out, $5 a day on engagement is going to get you further with organic strategies than spending nothing on ads. And I I have a little bit of a pet peeve with people who would spend, who tell me that they don't have money for $5 a day engagement ads, but then they have the fanciest software for their hosting their course, most expensive thing for hosting their course, um, all sorts of subscriptions to video creation tools and graphic design tools and things and photos, stock photos and things that you just don't need when you start out. That just eats up their money. But because they're paying for software, they feel like they're getting something for their money. Um, Whereas they feel like, well, running ads doesn't get me something for my money. And I will tell you that spending $5 a day on ads is going to get you further, faster than any software, fancy software. You can stick to the free stuff and spend your money on Facebook ads and you will get there faster. I think that's I think that's awesome advice. And I love how you keep coming back to the $5 a day because I think that's mm. a big sticking point for people not wanting to start because they don't have enough money. They think you have to spend a ton of money. Um, so this is this has been great, Salome. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Um, if somebody's interested in one of your courses, like is there somewhere we can direct people? I'm, I'm on shineandsucceed.com and I'm thinking maybe they're closed right now. Like tell us about the courses. <laughs> The courses are closed right now, but if they want to learn more, they can go to shineandsucceed.com forward slash waitlist. Okay. And that will get them on the waitlist for A-Lister, which is our foundational course that teaches you how to find the right people who actually wants to buy your course and make your first sale. Uh, And that one will be opening up again before the end of the year. Okay. And then somebody that wants to get more information about working with your agency would go where? shineandsucceed.com forward slash apply dash here. Apply here. Awesome. All right, Salome, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. 
All right, Dr. K, welcome back. Little Facebook ads conversation there for the most part. Uh, what, what did you think? I enjoyed it. I always enjoy discussing and uh, hearing about Facebook ads. It's something that it's, uh, it feels a little bit like a hobby for me is just trying to tweak my Facebook ads uh, for my in-person business mainly to work. And obviously it's more fun when you feel like you're getting your return on investment. So, uh, which can be tricky. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a Facebook ads guy, right? You kind of are like you're, you've over the past few years, like you're constantly sending me like, Hey, check out this ad. This was really interesting. Right. Yeah. So what were your kind of takeaways from what like Salome's take on uh, Facebook ads? Well, yeah, it lined up with what what my philosophy has been. And and yes, recently I've started with the engagement ads just because I want any video that I put out there to below it have a stack of likes, the laugh out loud uh, and some comments. I'm always that's what I'm trying to start with, because I know that then anybody who sees it after that point is more likely to click into it. I was curious for you, what was different about your past Facebook marketing attempts? And and why do you think that your past attempts didn't work? Like, why aren't you doing Facebook? Yeah. So first of all, I'd never even heard of engagement ads, right? That's how far out of, of Facebook ads I am. So she, she educated me on what that even was. Um, we've never really given Facebook ads a, 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 a fair shot, right? I've, I've taken several attempts myself. I'm not, I'm just not an ads guy. That's not what I'm, that's not my strength, right? I've outsourced it on one or two different occasions. And when you're outsourcing ads, it's got to be a really good fit. It's got to be a really good fit. And I just haven't found the right person for that yet. So I think once we get things a little more dialed in on our side with the new platform, I want to have the affiliate program rolled out. There's a couple more tweaks we're making inside of it. Um, I think eventually we will ramp up Facebook ads. But yeah, to, to your point, we've never really had much success with it. Gotcha. And yeah, so looking in from the outside, I would say that the uh, key thing that went wrong in the past potentially was just that the creative, the actual ads themselves were not compelling enough. Again, Mm -hmm. she says, start by getting the engagement, but you have to have something that gets people to like and love and comment and share. And so I know you have a competitive side. I was going to give you a challenge. So I went, I went and looked at my top, top Facebook ad video um, it's up to 214,000 views, 770 likes and loves and 500 shares. And so I wanted to challenge you. It's like, I know, Jacques, I know that you have content <laughs> that you could turn into a video that would get that kind of, uh, you know, could be at the 2 million views, could be at all the shares, but it's like, uh, you know, here's the challenge. Let that competitive side be like, you know, what is the creative? And so along with that, I do have a new Facebook ad suggestion for you. Oh, I love this. Okay, let's do, <laughs> let's hear it. I, I've given you a few of these. So you can go back and listen to past episodes mm-hmm. where I said, here's here's your current Facebook ad. Uh, this one, this one, it starts out um, with you basically doing the four chords in the four chord song. So bum, bum, bum. And then you're like, have you wanted to play piano, but thought it would be hard and take forever? What if I told you that by learning just these four chords, boom, 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 Why, you, you could keep play. Doing, you keep saying like your sound effect is three and you say you're saying four oh, yeah. chords. Boom, 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 boom. There you go. <laughs> okay. You could play thousands of the most popular songs. Uh, watch the full video proof I share in the description. Back in 2013, I created the course Piano in 21 Days to teach people the quickest and most fun way to learn piano without having to read sheet music do boring drills or play songs you don't like. 
Since then, I've taught over 6,000 people just like you how to play. So click the link to learn how it works and get the first five days of the course for free. Here are some of my students sharing their successes. And then it would go to just these really rapid fire uh, patients just gushing, just, just like pure emotion about how empowered they are by your course. And then just one more call to action. So click the link and get those first five days. So, so once again, I love it. That sounds great. Yeah, we've we've been ramping up the content lately. We're really focused on YouTube. We're releasing a new video every two weeks. There's some of those could certainly be repurposed as ads, but we we what I'm getting at is like we have a really we're getting a really dialed in system to kind of create content. And so, like, I'm great with adding that to the list. And thanks again for thanks once again for a, another. Sounds <laughs> like a good idea. Yeah, definitely the difference between like, I mean, I've been watching your YouTube videos, they look great, but the pacing of a, a Facebook ad, I feel Different. like it just has to, that initial hook just has to really grab people. Mm, makes sense. So my other advice would just be, we've talked about show her off in their ads in the past. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be the other thing for anybody looking at, at doing ads and, and starting to work on the creative going to show her off and just letting them start to retarget you with ads or <laughs> clicking into their page transparency on Facebook and seeing their ads. I mean, those ads, um, you can understand why they have all those likes. They're filled with emotion and definitely cast a vision of what, what people can do through the course. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the gold standard that show her off brand is amazing in terms of what they're doing with the ads. Now that reminds me what Somebody was asking me about this the other day. What's the tool or what's the way you can go? If you know a brand has good ads, where can you go to just kind of look at all their Facebook ads? So you would go to their Facebook profile and mm -hmm. then you're going to scroll down and look for page transparency. Okay. Got it. I thought it was like a, a, a tool, like a separate website. Well, there is, there's a few different ones. So there's one called Big Spy. Mm, that's com. the one I was thinking of, Big Spy. In, yep. in that one, you pay like $9 a month and then you can search the term. So you could search, search the term uh, piano course and it would give you every ad related to piano course through that. And then you can sort them by the amount of engagement. So that's that's mm. a great thing is that once you see it, it's like maybe it shows it first by number of views. But if you want to see which ones have the most likes and loves and then model your ads um, on the energy and the, the content they create. That's, that's a way to find that. Yeah. So big spy is what I was thinking of there. And then of course, that sounds like it comes with a little bit of a fee. So there's also that page transparency route just on Facebook itself. So, um, yeah, it's, man, it's interesting and it makes me want to get back into Facebook ads. I've actually already tasked, um, Colleen, our director of operations with, like, hey, let's let's try to let's try to make this an initiative uh, in a couple of months to to get back into this and and try to do it the right way. So, I think in a few months from now, you might see us uh, take it on, show her off as a as a top Facebook ads uh, advertiser. Nice. Look <laughs> forward to that. that. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, th yeah, that was um that was fun. I mean, I know people people enjoy hearing about Facebook ads. You know, some people have great success with it. A lot of people have great failure with it. So hopefully mm -hmm. there's some uh, people can take some, some takeaways from Salome here and, and, and start with as little as $5. So, um, 
So kind of clunkily transitioning out of that, let's talk about where this podcast uh, is going because this is likely your last episode here for, for a while. I'm sure, you know, as, lo- as long as the podcast continues that you might come back as a regular kind of guest. But this uh, this is kind of an end of of a of a season, if you will, of this podcast, right? If you look back through the the history, the first nineteen or twenty episodes were were me and Nate Dotson back in what twenty. I don't even remember if it was 2016 or 2017. Um, the podcast is definitely at, at least four years old. Um, but that was kind of like the first season, if you will. And then Nate wasn't like a regular co-host anymore. And it was just kind of me interviewing other course creators. Um, but the the frequency was pretty sporadic. I was still, still trying to figure out podcasting and, and where I wanted it to go. And sometimes it would be a month before the next episode. And then there was a period where we would release three episodes a week. And that was pretty, that was pretty, uh, that was pretty daunting. And that was, that was for the next like 80, 85 episodes. And then I was like, you know, I think, I think having a co-host is, is a good thing. There's a lot of advantages to that. You know, thinking back to when I first started with Nate, there's a lot of things you can do with a co-host that you can't really do by yourself. And so, you, you know, you're the first person I thought of. I reached out to you. You were on board. And roughly 70 episodes later, here we are um, having, having put a lot of episodes behind us. So recently, you know, several episodes ago, I announced that this podcast was going down to two, two uh, every two weeks uh, and that the whole online course guy brand was was taking a major backseat to piano in 21 days and and basically that's continuing piano in 21 days is still going really well i'm just not as into this side of the brand right now but i i do plan to get back into it more in the future so i'm not sure exactly where this podcast is going it's not going away but um it's not going to continue in the same format that it is right so as of right now we have no more interviews in the queue we know how we have no more planned episodes in the queue. So it's very likely that it could just be me coming on every now and then with, with just updating you guys with how the piano in 21 days course is going uh, with all the stuff we're doing there. So don't, don't unsubscribe, you know, stick around. I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be here. I'm still, you know, leaving the feed open and it's, it's likely it's just going to turn a lot more casual. Like that's probably the next season that's happening. Um, and then, and then it could come back to, to something else, uh, after that. So stay tuned for, for what it might end up being, um, and that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, any, any other thoughts related to that, David? Well, just I appreciate the opportunity to be the co-host here. I've enjoyed just uh, being able to give advice and input, uh, whether it's appreciated or not. I don't know, but uh, it's been it's been fun for me, and I've enjoyed getting feedback from some of our listeners that they've enjoyed the different stories that I've shared and learned various things from me. So that's been a lot of fun, and definitely I do encourage you just to just to do periodic updates. If there's something that you think would be fun to share or that you think that the listeners would enjoy hearing, uh, definitely don't hesitate to jump on and record one and just uh, not let your perfectionist sides keep you keep you from doing that. So I do want to ask uh, just a little bit more about what your your plans are for the next few months as far as both on the personal side of your life, uh, if you have fun things coming up this summer, um, what the big, big things are yet coming up in your business. Yeah. So we are, um, we are putting the finishing touches inside the platform. Some things we weren't really able to, to see until thousands of people started using it. And so we're revamping the community aspect. The, the forums that we launched it with were a little, 
a little antiquated and we've, we've uh, determined a really, uh, a way to, to make it more modern and, and user-friendly uh, that we're really excited about that's launching soon. That's the last big piece of the platform itself. And then we've got the affiliate, um, the affiliate part, and then some other just optimizations that we're working on. But overall, it's going really, really well. The success rate is far higher than before. The refund rate is far lower than before. Everything's just going really, uh, really well with that. Personally, we're, we're actually doing a little bit of renovations to our house. So we have to move out of our house for for a large part of this summer. And that's another reason reason of this particular timing because I'm going to be out of my my nice studio with my nice microphone for for a little bit. But where are you uh, going to go live? Did you pick well, out a nice Airbnb? Or? <laughs> so we have a lot of different family members within within a you know within a day's drive. So we're just going to use it as an opportunity to just go, hey, spend a week here, spend a week there, spend a week there. Um, so we're just going to kind of bounce around and have fun with it and take advantage of the the lifestyle that we have, where we don't have to be in a certain spot for jobs and whatnot. So that's the plan there. And then as far as this side of the brand, I mean, it's not. Uh, it's not going away. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent that the brand, like the online course guy might stick around, but as far as me helping people with online courses, like that's not going away. I love that too much. Once we get through this season of being really deep into piano in 21 days, I promise you there's going to be new stuff coming up, new initiatives, new ways for, for me and my team to help people with online courses. Um, we've got some ideas already that we're we're starting to think about. And so stay tuned, you know, go to the onlinecourseguy.com, join the email list. There's no, there's no like freebies that I'm offering right now. It's just, hey, if you want to stay tuned to any updates, then join the email list. Um, stay subscribed to the podcast. Uh, go to the online course community on Facebook. Stay there if you wanna, if you wanna continue to get updates. So I'm I'm pretty confident on where things are going with piano in 21 days. You know, I know I know what's happening in my personal life. Things are more up in the air with this side of things, but gotcha. I but I know it's not it's not going away. It's just that this is this is temporary for sure. So with that, um, I do want to express my sincere gratitude to you over these last uh, several episodes and well over a year. Uh, I, I'm not sure if everybody realizes this, but you you agreed to this as just it, it's a hobby for you to be a part of this. Um, you don't get compensated for for being on here, um, other than just my uh, my 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 wit and my personality hanging out with you. So I really appreciate that, and I know I've heard I've heard from a lot of people that they enjoy having you here as a co-host and the way we interact with each other. So I look forward to to having you back on, not necessarily as a as an every time co-host, but as a as a regular kind of guest appearance. So thanks for thanks for everything you've brought to this podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Thanks. All right. Well that's gonna do it for uh for 176. So as usual, we have show notes and links and everything over at oc.show slash 176. And this is going to be a buy for now, but not buy for hopefully very long. And until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that provide transformation to your students and not just information. Bye everyone. 